As I was growing up, watching the television in what we called the heater room, <laughs> the furnace kept the, most of the, that portion of the house warm, I would often notice after watching an episode with my parents, at the end there would be sometimes something called an epilogue. It's a final concluding act or event. It comes from a Greek, couple of Greek words thrown together, epi and logos, which means the additional word. In other words, more to wrap, kind of wrap things up. An epilogue is designed to bring things to closure, whether it's a book or whether it's work. And that's precisely what the Apostle Paul is doing today. Finally, we are at the end of our study, expositional consecutive study in the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to now direct you to the screen or to your Bible or your device for our scripture reading today. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 24. Paul is reached now, having gone through the doctrinal portion and the practical. Now he's doing the wrapping up of things, bringing closure to it. But there are still some sweet nuggets and some good reminders to us as the people of God, even as Paul is wrapping things up today. Hear the word of the Lord. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers. And love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it now. Father, once again, we ask that you would help us understand And apply this portion of your word. May we receive the engrafted word in meekness and humility and with faith. And may it yield in us the peaceable fruit of righteousness to the advancement of your kingdom and to your ultimate glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may recall, if you were here in the series last week, I said that some people think when we were talking about 
the armor of God, I was suggesting that I believe there are six pieces that are truly part of what Paul was using as a metaphor for the, for the gospel, taking and, and, and laying hold of Jesus and trusting in him. Though all those were used as a metaphor. Some people think there is a seventh piece. Some of the particularly older, um, back in the 16th, 17th century, um, Bunyan had a section of, called All Prayer. It was one of his, the seventh piece in, uh, in the armor uh, in the Holy War um, that we talked about uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so that being a seventh piece in verse 18, but I don't believe that is the case. It's not another piece of armor, but it is telling us about prayer that is needed to handle all challenges that come from our enemies. We need prayer. We need to be trusting in Christ, but we need to be praying to avail ourselves to the resources that God has given. It's not, as I said, technically a piece of armor, but it should pervade all of our spiritual battles. Equipping ourselves with God's armor is not mechanical. It's not putting on on metal. It's not mechanical. It is spiritual. We put on, we cry out to the Lord. We pray to him fervently and for the things that he has told us that we should be praying about in, his, in the scriptures. So equipping ourselves, it's part of the epistle and the part that remains. We're going to be looking at these resources, a prayer, and a couple of other things that Paul gives us in this epilogue. And here's the outline. First of all, the prayer, a specific, uh, we could say prayers, because he's really talking about prayer in a very broad uh, and a lot of different dimensions of it. The prayer, the purpose, and the pronouncement. So he's going to talk about praying, the importance of that. Then he's going to talk about the reason why he's sending Tychius to those in Ephesus and then the pronouncement, and that'll be in the last two verses. So the prayer, that's found in basically 18 through 20. Now, how important is prayer? Well, it's so important that we're supposed to be able to do it all times, in all places. So important that there's almost nothing for which we can't lift up our hands and our hearts in prayer. Uh, in verse 18, Paul, typical to his focus, he doesn't start with himself. He starts with urging the Ephesians to pray for others, for uh, their brothers and sisters and for others. He starts by asking them to pray on all occasions, meaning not all the time. I mean, literally, we know you cannot pray all the time but on all sorts of occasions, all sorts of circumstances in which you find yourself. Walking through the woods, stop and pray, God, thank you for, you know, it, that, it's, it's more like that. It's more, there's no time that prayer is not appropriate. All times are appropriate for prayer. And he also tells them, Paul is telling the Ephesians in, in this first part of his uh, epilogue, he's telling them that your prayer should be varied. 
It doesn't have to be rote. It doesn't have to be based off of, say, a recitation of the Lord's Prayer or of a, of a, of a prayer from the Old Testament. Those are good prayers, but it doesn't have to be just based off of that. It can be, have all kind of dimensions. Some of you know that in the past, we have often used an acrostic uh, in some of our uh, prayer services uh, called ACTS, A-C-T-S. I learned that very early in my Christian life uh, and uh, after I became a Christian. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Now, all of those are parts of prayer, but there's different dimensions. If you, everything is, shouldn't be just a wish list, a desire list. That's in there. That's the supplication. That's good. And we're told to do that. Cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. But there's also prayer that is part of that is to is adoring God. Part of that is thanking God. Part of that is confessing our sins to God. And you notice that in some ways we do all of that in every service here uh, on the main, by and large. Uh, that Those elements are all part of a varied prayer. Furthermore, Paul tells them to be what? Persistent. He basically says, don't give up. Don't give up just because your prayers haven't been answered yet. A lot of us get frustrated. We pray and we pray and pray and then we just think, well, God's never going to answer. And we quit. We give up. No, Paul is encouraging them to be persistent and not tire just because our prayers are not yet answered. And finally... Paul, in that, those first two verses, 18 through 20, finally Paul asked for prayer for all the saints. Now, we have a, we have a, a, a song in our hymn book um, that's called For All the Saints. It's one of my favorites. It'll probably be uh, one, of the, one of the ones that'll be uh, used somewhere in, in my service when it's time for me to go home and leave all the rest of you uh, here uh, uh, in, the, in, this, in this world. When I go to the next one, uh, this is one of the songs that I want to have uh, sung. And it's a beautiful, wonderful song. Both versions, the RUF and the uh, traditional. I love them both. And, uh, but when Paul says here, for all the saints, he's calling them and us to pray for our brothers and sisters, wherever they may be. Yes, we're, we should pray for one another. We do pray for one another. Our elders every Sunday morning and other times in the week, we have men and women praying for our congregation and the needs of our congregation and for our people in particular. Obviously, that's part of what the pastoral prayer is that the elders do, uh, and Mike was, was doing for us this morning. But there's more than that. It's not just here. We need to be praying for all the saints. Not just the ones we know. We have brothers and sisters that we don't know yet. But one day we will know and spend and share eternity with. We don't know them now. But we can be praying for them now. And one of the most important ways I think that can be done. Is praying particularly for the persecuted church. Do we ever pray for the church? For the churches that are not as blessed as we are, that don't have the freedoms that we have, that are in underground circumstances or being persecuted for their faith or in danger of losing their lives because they are followers of the Lamb. All the saints. Pray for all the saints. Pray for the ones. I have been praying for years for 
for the South American continent in particular. All, I mean, there's need all over the world in every continent, but particularly, and there are some amazing things that God is doing in places in, in South America, particularly Chile and in Argentina and in Brazil and in Cuba of all places. There are, there's an incredible revival going on in Cuba. It has to be somewhat underground, but it's, it's amazing to see in how God is working. And so we pray for our brothers and sisters. That's one other thing that we can do is we pray for all the saints. Now, finally, with those kind of pervasive and prevailing prayer for all the saints in all circumstances and varied ways, Paul then, in verse 19, gets around to asking prayer for himself. You say, well, it's about time. That's what we do best, right? You know, that's, that's, you remember the line from uh, Tigger? That's what Tiggers do best. You know, we do praying for ourselves best. We, we're good at that, or better. We may not, may not be good, but we're better at that because that's something we know and love. So, but Paul, he doesn't ask for prayer for him. He, he does ask prayer for himself, but not so that he can get what he wants or desires. Notice he doesn't ask for health. He doesn't ask for wealth. How do you think Paul's uh, health was rotting in a Roman jail? Not, not, not probably, not very good. Um, certainly his, his 401k was not, you know, just blooming and overflowing when he was there. No, he didn't ask for those things. But rather he asked for God-given ability to fulfill his calling in Christ. He wanted, whether he died or whether he lived, he wanted to live for Christ and for God's glory. I've got a brother, a Christian brother, one of those saints that I was telling you about for all the saints. I've got one, and he's fighting a very, very difficult battle with cancer. He and I grew up in the Lord together. We've stayed through these years and on and off contact. And he called and told me that not long ago. But he said to me, Joe, I've never been so free in my life. He said, I'm probably terminal. He's, they're doing all they, they can, and they're, they're doing a lot, of, a lot of efforts. He said, but whether I die or whether I live, I want to live to the, die and live to the glory of God. That's what Paul was saying when he said, to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's the way Paul was. He wasn't focused on himself. Paul is not being selfish because he's asking God to make him a channel to be an instrument in blessing of others and God's cause. How does that stack up in our prayer list? Sometimes we might be a little heavy on the, our needs. Now, are they legit? Absolutely. Don't go out here and say, well, Joe said we should never pray for ourselves. No, no, no. I pray for myself a lot, and you need to pray for yourself a lot. But we just also need to include a lot of our brothers and sisters 
and the cause of God. Again, so often we, don't, we aren't kingdom focused on the glory of God. We need to spend more time in our focus there. Now, let me give you a little word of encouragement. If right now you feel a little bit beat up, if you feel as I often do, I'm putting the finger right here. I, you know, you know why we try to do and establish a number of the of, of uh, opportunities for prayer. I'm really glad because I need all of those because I don't naturally pray well. But you know, when the elders are sitting in there waiting for waiting for me to sit down with them, I got to come and I got to pray. See, sometimes we use our weakness to strengthen the parts that are weak, but in, in solidarity with one another, in gathering together in prayer, all kind of prayer groups, they help us pray more effectively. I know, I know a, a godly brother that, that's, that's nationally known, and yet he's, he basically says that's the same thing. He said, I need all of that to help me pray more earnestly. So if, if you are feeling as I often do, that your prayer life is pretty paltry and you just don't know what to pray for, be encouraged by what Paul says. Be encouraged. In Romans 8, listen to what he said. Likewise, Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. What kind of weaknesses? like having trouble being really effective and efficient and, and persistent in prayer. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Paul says, I already know. You're not that good at this. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Even if I doze off or go into a down-the-road driving and you almost wonder whether I've been on a substance, all of a sudden I realize, wait, wait a minute, I was supposed to be praying a while ago. How did I get 200 yards down the road and, and what, where was I? Just went wandering. He knows that. The Spirit knows that about me. He knows that about you and whatever it is that impairs your praying. And he's not there to scold you. He's there to encourage you and to finish the work that you and I sometimes can't. But we can start it. We can engage in it and then depend upon the Spirit to pray for us with deep groanings that go deeper than anything we could bring from ourselves. So be encouraged. Now, purpose. What's the purpose? 21 and 22. Paul's purpose in sending this letter was basically just to encourage and comfort his Ephesians brothers and sisters. He wanted them to be encouraged, even though his situation was certainly not encouraging. Paul knew that those, that those bars were, and those chains were not going to keep him from doing God's will. But he wanted them to be encouraged. And he wanted them to know that he's okay. In whatever sense that means. 
far as he was concerned, he's okay. He's, he's made peace with that situation. We wouldn't want to be there. But Paul was, and he wanted them to know how he was doing. And so he taps this guy named Tychius. Five times in the epistles, uh, and all of them, I think maybe one, Paul is the one that is working with this guy, Tychius. And Tychius is always hanging around. (laughs) He's always around Paul and what Paul's doing. He seems to show up many, many places. You, You look at the ancient Mediterranean, and this guy got around. He probably was the one that took the offering that Paul gave uh, from, the, from the Bereans and the, and the Thessalonians back to Jerusalem. So he went, that's a long journey. If you ever tried walking that, uh, it's a long journey. And now he's been in Rome and now he's being sent back all the way to Asia. That's a long way from one end of the med to the other and deeper into it. So this guy, Tychius, now some people think he was a scribe. He think, they think he was Paul's uh, scribe or amanuensis. Um, uh, but whether that's the case or not, we don't really know for sure. But what we do know is Paul entrusts the letter going to the Ephesians, this book that we've been studying, he entrusts that letter and, prob- and Colossians also and probably even Philemon. He entrusts this guy to be his courier. He entrusts him to take these letters back to the churches of Asia. And Paul wanted him to tell the churches in Asia about his situation there in Rome. Uh, Paul had, especially regarding his imprisonment earlier, Paul had said this, not Tell them not to be discouraged because of my sufferings. Paul said, look, don't be discouraged. Don't be, don't be crying tears for me. The, the sufferance, when I'm strong, what? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's how Paul saw it. Just gives more room for God to do something. When I'm weak and hindered, then that just means more room for God. So Paul was, again, not trying to get them to woe is me and, to, and oh, please pray for me and get me out of this mess if you can. No, Paul was very content where he was. But he wanted them to know that he was still sharing the gospel, living for Christ. That was the second purpose of Paul sending Tychius. Now, notice this. Paul refers to him as a beloved brother and faithful minister. A beloved brother and a faithful minister. I don't know about you, but that wouldn't be a bad epitaph on your tombstone. I wouldn't mind having that one on mine if that, were, if that could in any way be really true a beloved brother, and a faithful minister. Paul knew Tychius was that. He was dependable, he was reliable, he was consistent, and he was always there. 
Sometimes believers in the body of Christ, they may not have a lot of gifts and a lot of flashy things, but they're just rock solid. And they're there for whatever is needed. And if they can't find, do it themselves, they'll find somebody else that can. What a blessing. Now, the last thing here, Paul makes a pronouncement. And you know a lot about this pronouncement thing already. <laughs> In verses 23 and 24. The last two verses of Paul's epistle are what we call a benediction. Which means the good word, bene, good word, or blessing. You remember, of course, the famous ironic blessing. Aaron's blessing, the Lord, I give it often to, uh, at the end of a service like this. I often, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord, the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. That's a blessing. But what I've said, and by the way, I did, I did just recently allude to this. So bear, bear, bear with me in case you were here already and heard this. But just, uh, it's been a long time since I said this. The benediction is not a prayer. And that's why in terms of, I believe, in terms of gesture, it's not this. this. That's an ascription. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. That's an ascription. That's ascribing praise to God. It's elevated up toward God. But the benediction is God's blessing because of what in Christ and because of his grace coming upon his people. And that's why the hands, you see my hands are always this way, not that way. They're focused. And as it were, though it's nothing, nothing but symbolism, but in an essence, it is God's word being spoken. As I speak it, it is God's word coming to you with its blessing. And so that is what Paul is giving here, a, a, a blessing. Now, throughout his letter, letters, you find peace, uh, love, faith, grace. Those are all common words that Paul uses in various benedictions here and there. But the benediction here seems to be less personal. In other words, maybe Paul doesn't know this group like he knows some of the other churches. Spent a lot more time at that point. Maybe it's less personal, but it's more inclusive. Did you hear the word when at the end? He says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So he doesn't specifically say, he says with all. In other words, wherever you are, whoever you are, whether I know you or not, whether I've ever got to, to shake your hand or give you a kiss on the cheek, whatever. I don't know you, but grace be with all as long as you love the Lord Jesus. That's the point. You see, the letter began with God choosing us before the foundation of the world. That's where Ephesians started. And where it ends is the hope of an endless future one that is filled with both God's grace for us because of what he's done in Christ and our responsive love to Jesus for what he's done. Remember, we love him, why? Because he first loved us. That's what Paul is saying in this whole book. 
He loved us because he first loved us before the foundation of the world. And now he delights to receive our love of the great and glorious Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Allow me to ask a concluding question of you and me. Do you know Jesus Christ? I didn't ask you if you knew who he was or things about him. Do you know him? Do you know him in the sense that John was talking about? That you believe on his name, that you trust in him. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ personally? Because you've put your faith in him and in him alone for your salvation. And do you love him? Remember what, what Peter was saying? What Jesus said to Peter? Peter, do you love me? Oh, yeah, Lord. Do you, Peter, do you really love me? See, he was trying to help Peter understand. It's a relationship, a love relationship that will, he will carry us into eternity with him forever in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Do you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ? That is the question that really matters. What all you've done, what all you've accomplished, none of that matters. Unless you know him and love him. Now and always. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this, this precious book and all its beauties and its mysteries, the profound implications for all of the cosmos and the things that you are doing that we can no way begin to comprehend and understand, the things which you have prepared for those who love you. And Lord Jesus, keep our love strong. Whatever else falters and fails, do not let us, Lord, let it, your love keep us and hold us fast. And then let our small and weak faith and love, Lord, let it ever cling to you and, and love you and, and, and express our gratitude and our service to you because of your great love for us that saved us from our sins. Father, we, we pray that, again, these, this good news we will share with others all to your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.